You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives, and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education. Today we'll be in conversation with Dr. Amanda Gummer. Dr. Amanda is an author, a research psychologist specializing in child development, an entrepreneur founding of three organizations, The Good Play Guide, Fundamentals and The Good Toy Guide. Amanda is helping the world be more playful, which we all need, especially in the last 12 months. Today we're chatting with Dr. Amanda Gummer on Good Play Guide, Importance of Play and Toys for Early Years Development, Safety and Trends in Toys for 2021. Welcome, Dr. Amanda Gamar. Thank you so much for having me. That's, that's amazing. It was amazing you could join us today, but I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners and your passion for promoting the value of play and positive parenting in child development. So I'm Amanda Gummer and I am a research psychologist and I've been working with people making things for children for about 20 years now. And I have grown up with toys because my dad used to sell toys and for various sort of eclectic experiences I've had over the years, I've just seen how play is so powerful in helping address so many really key developmental benefits. So, you know, whether it's from friendships, from learning, through emotional well-being, physical activity and, and health, it's just, I feel like it's the answer to pretty much a lot of the world's problems today. So I've been on a, on a mission to make the world more playful and I am excited to, to be talking to you about it. Fantastic. I love that. So you're, you grew up with a toy store or a toy, was it a toy store or a toy? Well, yeah, my, so my dad was selling toys for companies into independent shops. So he would have samples of everything and he would oh. get me and my brother to test the toys to so, so that he knew how they, how they worked so that he could then go and explain it to his customers. So, yeah, so we, I've been testing toys since I was a kid. <laughs> that's the you know what that is the best way to test the toys I've, I've tried out a lot of toys on my own children as well over the years and actually been they've been tried out on me as well look what was yours what's the inspiration for founding the good play guide I think it's it comes from uh, a combination of, of experiences I was teaching children in Hong Kong English and spe- uh, children with special needs and children who wanted to learn English and from a, a sort of a fairly rigid education system, this is all after school. So it had to be yeah. play-based because those kids have been sat at desks all day and they've been, they've been learning. So sort of looking at how to learn through play, I did that. I worked in a, I volunteered in a women's refuge and the children in the refuge were obviously lots of, of very challenging experiences that they'd had. And they were, some of them weren't able to go to school and the, the mums obviously had quite a lot going on for them. And the children were sort of, largely ignored so again I went in and developed some play-based activities and educational stuff again with a very sort of play focus and just was amazed at how powerful that was for them and I think the good play guide came out of a combination of of those kind of experiences learning sort of watching my kids play and grow up and, and how how play just brings families together and 
and it's so universally accepted it's not it's not stigmatized in any way you know if you go on a parenting course people assume you you're not a good parent and you need to get better whereas if you go to a play club it's just fun and and you can get an awful lot of benefit from all of that sort of stuff and I was doing the research as you know the consultancy was running that was fundamentals and and the research was going well and then I was getting toy companies asking me for a quick way to do some research a quicker and easier way to do some research and I was getting parents asking me how how they could tell whether a toy that their kids had seen advertised on telly was going to be any good for them and so I sort of put the two together and created the good toy guide and then the good play guide sort of evolved out of that because we added the good app guide and and that and we're currently revamping goodplayguide.com to include other guides so good activities guide good baby guide so that there is that kind of playful ecosystem where parents can come for free advice and information and reviews of products but all with a kind of a push towards making making family lives more playful and helping children thrive through play. I think sometimes I know as a parent and if you look at like these Insta accounts and social media is that you think, oh, wow, play is so complex and it has to be so complex because you see these setups and they're amazing and these playrooms that are amazing. I mean, man, if you came to my playroom, it looks more like a hurricane came through it. Honestly, my two <laughs> boys are amazing at being able to get toys from one end to the other and it's not even that we have that many it's just that that's that's how they play there's so much going on in their brains <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think we get a lot of parents saying oh you know I don't really play with my kids because I don't want to get it wrong and there's this pressure on parents at the moment to sort of do the right thing by their kids and there's so much advice and information out there on what you should or shouldn't do to be a good parent I think parents are often paralyzed by fear and because they don't want to get it wrong, because they think there's a, there's a right and a wrong way of playing with your kids, they tend not to do anything. And actually, just not overthinking it and letting the kids lead and just kind of getting down on their level and going for it is, is all the thinking you need to put behind it. Because kids play naturally. That is, that's their default state, if you like. And whether that's energetic play or creative play or quiet play, when they're allowed to play and they're left, let sort of, left to choose their own activities they will choose something that suits them and their mood at the time and and their sort of how they're feeling and, and where their ability levels are they will do that naturally and and just getting involved with them with that taking an interest in what they're doing that's all you need to do to start with you don't have to dress up and you know go on a pirate adventure and you don't need to sit and play hours of board games or trash the house and and you know risk getting paint on the walls if that's not your thing that's absolutely fine but it's so beneficial when the when kids see you playing with them and that relationship that you get that communication the trust the attachment all of that is really reinforced when when families play together that's interesting and we were talking to someone who's joined Marquise the other day and she was she goes by the connection before correction so when you play it's about connecting with the child in the way that they have it rather than correcting the child on everything that they need to do so you know if they've chose chosen blue then you don't say you should need pink or anything like that or it's allowing them to actually as you say being child-led there was this wonderful um, quote I read the other day by Dr. Sarah Mundy, and she says, our brains are wired to play and wired through play. And I love this as it allows us to see the importance of play. Because I think as parents and many people don't see the benefits, they, they ha we have this club and this culture where we need to have this curriculum and club and everything is structured. And if this toy isn't STEM and this and that, then we can't touch it. 
rather than looking at the open-ended play. Yeah, and that's that's really important. And um, we developed a, a sort of a framework for play called the Balanced Play Pyramid. And we use the analogy of a balanced food diet. And actually, in the same way that you have superfoods, and you know, if your kids wanted more vegetables, you would give them as many vegetables as they would happily eat, but you limit how many you know, crisps and chocolates that they have. And it's a similar thing for play. And actually the superfoods of the play diet are the social, imaginative, free, child-led, active play. So when the kids are outside, playing freely and imaginatively with their friends they are learning so much and we can sometimes see that as a sort of I don't know naughty behavior or you know or it's just a bit high energy and and actually sometimes <laughs> we just want kids to sit down and play you know and be quiet whereas actually what they're learning from that is is more valuable to them in their life skills whether it's compromise leadership negotiation teamwork problem solving, all of those really important skills that employers value and that will set kids up for life. That's what they're getting from that kind of play. So in the same way that you you would give your kids extra vegetables, if we can give kids extra time doing those kind of activities, it's going to be really good for them. So I try and, and, and encourage parents to think about that balance of, of, of play and what the activities are doing and, and giving them that freedom and there is room for the goal-oriented educational play and all of that but it's not actually as good for kids as that free active imaginative social child-led play that that is is you know really is the superfood of the play diet and that if someone wanted to know more about I mean because you know many people are visual the way that you learn if they want to read more about this play pyramid framework that you've developed is there somewhere in particular they can go can they just head over to the good play guide or the good toy guide yeah, it's on the website. I think the main article is on goodtoyguide.com. But if you Google balanced play diet, there's a nice little graphic, you know, pyramid graphic that you'll find. And it's, it's sort of it's got it on there. And there's an article on sort of tips to help give your kids a, a balanced play diet. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's all, all available via our, our websites. I do love that because it's a very practical way of looking at as a parent. So you're actually simplifying to a degree. You know, my, my uh, three-year-old would have ice cream for breakfast if you let him every day. And he'd probably, <laughs> if he wanted, he'd probably have TV if you really allowed it. But, you know, I suppose it's the other way to think of it is that structured time and how you do actually you allow your children, you set those boundaries and then they sort of just respect them and they understand the boundaries, which is... Yeah. A- and I actually, and it's about empowering parents as well, because a balance is a balance. It's not a, not a kind of quota or a, um, and I actually went up against the, somebody from the WHO and the WHO has got sort of guidelines on how much TV and how much active play or activity children at certain ages should have. And I fundamentally disagree with putting sort of numbers against this because you might have a child, you know, again, with the nutritional analogy, if you've got a hungry child, and they're going through a growth spurt, they need more food, but they just need it in the right proportion. And you get some kids who've got lots of free time, and then you've got other kids who have very little free time. But whatever that free time is, it needs to be structured, you know, you need that balance within it. And I think it empowers parents to make sensible decisions about their family life, rather than saying, oh, you're a terrible parent because your child has watched more than half an hour TV today, which I think is is really disempowering and, and counterproductive. So I like I like the model because it it gives parents back the control and it just gives them a framework to use rather than a kind of 
stick to beat themselves with if they haven't managed to, you know, get the kids outside for three hours oh, a day. I mean, that's really important, especially the last 12 months. I mean, we've all been put in a very unconventional year and I've had my children on and off at home. And sometimes I've, you sort of, you've gone to putting them in front of a screen so that you can do a recording so that you can have a, a meeting and things like that, just so that they'll be a little bit quieter, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. They probably had a little bit more than they generally do and the rules have been stretched a little bit. However, they've also had a lot more time outside, unstructured, free play, because usually they've been at school for a, quite a long period of time as well. So it's been a really interesting year to see where my own children have developed their skills, to be honest. Like my youngest language was terrible a year ago, and whether that's he had glue ear and a few other things, but being one-on-one -on -one at home with you, he's got an amazing vocabulary now. Yeah, and it's it's... It has been a really odd year and I think as with, with lots of things in the media it tends to be polarized so it's either the worst thing that's ever happened to children and we've <laughs> lost a generation and they're never going to be able to read or write or anything useful or it's the sort of you know there's the the success stories where you know some kids have, have really thrived because they've not you know if they don't enjoy school or they've been able to get some one-on-one -on -one attention or whatever so and I think actually the best way to look at it is to celebrate the things this isn't usual it hasn't it's not likely to be repeated but there are some positives that will have come out of it and even if it's that, that kids have developed a bit more political awareness or compassion or an understanding of how the NHS works or you know <laughs> they will have they will have understood they will have got something from the year that had it been a normal year they won't have got now they will have lost other things but I think it's about celebrating the things that are the positives and doing what we can to sort of mitigate the negative impact of the of the less good stuff. So I, I, I tend to take a much more nuanced approach to, to the pandemic and children's reactions to it, because not every every child is the same either. They, some of them have, have thrived through lockdown and some of them have, have absolutely not. No, I, so I think it's all about the individual child. Absolutely. And also the environment they're in, depending on where, if they're in stressful situations and you know, there's, I mean, there's a whole, whole lot of other factors that they can put in together. But I suppose, yeah, the next one is, I suppose, I was thinking about something that's really important to me is the development of play and toys for early years. So looking at what parents should be looking at for good quality toys. Because if you go into a toy store, I mean, you walk into one of those big toy stores and you're just inundated with choice. But it, even when they've been out of, with what would you, like lockdown, you haven't been able to see them. So then you're looking online and, you know, how do you cipher what's a good development toy for children? Yeah, so I think that's one of the reasons we set up the Good Toy Guide in the first place was because there is an awful lot of stuff out there. And um, the British Toy and Hobby Association, which is the umbrella body for the, the UK toy industry, is doing what it can to fight counterfeits because they are everywhere. Yeah. And they're often, they're often not safety tested. They're often not, you know, they're being passed off as, you know, a Lego toy or a, you know, Nerf gun or whatever, and they're not. And they, they can be actually really dangerous. And normally... You hear stories, if you hear any stories in the media of children getting hurt by toys, they are yeah. almost certainly counterfeit toys. And it's very difficult when you're shopping online, certainly with sort of the Amazons of this world, to know what you're getting and where you're shopping from. So the first piece of advice to parents looking for toys is that, you know, if it looks like it's too cheap to be true, you know, to, it's too good a deal to be true, it probably is, and it's probably a knockoff. So you want to be looking for the CE mark and the, the kite mark, and the British Lion and the Lion Mark for the for the toys from the British Toy and Hobby Association, they're all really good signs of, of the safety and the quality of the toy. 
And then I, and I would say this, but Good Toy Guide is, we, we only work with people who've got safety tested toys and we review the toys with children and with professionals. And they, you know, on the Good Toy Guide, you'll get the reviews to see exactly what the toy does, what skills it develops, what age it's appropriate for. You'll get quotes from the kids, you'll get the opinions of the experts and it's all there. So I would, I would say that if you're really looking for toys to support particular learning or particular developmental milestones, check out the goodtoyguide.com and, and, um, and it's all on there. I watched, um, was it, I think it's the Toy Association in the USA had put out a safety demonstration from, I think it must be the CEO of Magformers, which are those magnetic, uh, what do you call it, like shapes tile, that, yeah. that go together. And he was talking about how that they've been able to go through the process of trying to find all of the different counterfeits and so they've spent a lot of time and he was actually literally breaking them in his hands and the magnets were falling out he was showing you how easy they are and they haven't gone through the testing but they're getting into the country but they're spending a lot of time going through this and I mean do you think it's more prevalent in the last 12 months with the growth of all these big e-commerce and third-party sellers yeah I do I absolutely do as a, as a manufacturer, we've actually found that we've got a lot more copy in the last 12 months, which is quite sad. And when we're buying them and looking at it, you're right, they don't have the CE marks, they don't have the testing. I mean, these are really important. And actually, they're very expensive things that manufacturers and toy companies have to do. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing is it's a bit of a uh, sort of race to the bottom because the more people that buy counterfeit products the more danger they're putting their kids in, but the more they're also taking money out of the pockets of the, gar- the good guys who are making good, safe toys for their kids and investing in the, in the safety procedures and the R&D kind of processes. So it, it kind of becomes a bit of a vicious circle because if, if people like you guys and, and you know, the good manufacturers within the, within the toy industry are spending all of their money, A, going through all the testing processes and making sure that their products are age-appropriate, safety-tested, fit yes. for purpose. And then they're also having to spend a lot of money fighting people <laughs> who are knocking them off. That's going to hit their bottom line and, and that's not sustainable. So as consumers, I think we have a, a duty. If we want our kids to have good toys to play with, we have to support the guys that are doing it right. I did see that the BTHA actually brought out a safety consumer guide at Christmas, didn't they? And they put it online. Actually, it was a really good video and they're talking to the public. They're talking to the mums and dads, the grandparents about buying online because they thought we're not going to be able to get it through to the actual company, but we can advocate what is safety and how to find different ways about it, which is very similar to what you're saying now about looking at looking online for, you know, trusted suppliers and if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Now, were you part of that in uh, looking at all the research there? Um, no, not on the safety testing. That's no, we, we very much focus on the play value and the developmental benefits of products, but um, we absolutely support the work of the BTHA and anybody sort of addressing that sort of counterfeit safety concerns. Oh, which is a which is a big problem, and actually, it's a big industry, especially in the last twelve months. Now, there was something that I did say that you did um, contribute to was the STEM. Was it STEM or was it STEAM? The development of the STEAM framework in the USA. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, we did some work for the Toy Association in the in the states, which again, the umbrella body for the toy industry over there, and they had a lot of people making various claims around STEM and STEAM products. And basically people were just slapping the label on and going, oh, I've got a great STEAM product and using it as a marketing tool without really having any evidence to, to base that claim on. And so what we did was we, we used our sort of 
background with the sort of toy, good toy assessment. And we looked at what the processes and the characteristics of STEAM or STEM, STEM toys were. And we put that in together to help them create a framework against which manufacturers can judge their products and accredit them on the, the sort of that STEAM criteria. So it just it standardizes the assessment process. If you want to say that your toy is a STEAM or a STEM product, then um, there is now a framework that you can use and a, a sort of a checklist of things that you go through and go, okay, well, yeah, I'm okay to claim this now. And this is, you know, in line with the Toy Association's guidelines and the, and the STEAM framework that we help them develop. This is now a you know, this is a, a steam toy and I'm able to use that and back it up. Whereas I think toy manufacturers, less so now maybe, but certainly in the past have been very guilty of, of playing on parents' natural desires for their children to be geniuses by the time they're two and just being able to give them that kind of, you know, this, you know, play with my toy and your kid will get into Oxford University by the time, you know, it's, it's that kind of overhype. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's sort of, overhyped developmental claims around toys and I think that was partly the reason for getting this this framework in so so people had a little bit more just to sort of temper some of the enthusiasm around the claims that some of these toy companies were making but it's, it's important because steam is you know is a growing topic and especially in in terms of that sort of gender divide and and making sure that there are opportunities for girls to play with steam products and, and making sure that the marketing isn't too focused on just on the boys and that kind of thing and being able to you know it's open up those steam play patterns is is so important especially in a sort of increasingly technical world but yeah. just doing it in a consistent way that makes sense to everybody was um, it was a really enjoyable product we really like working on it is there is there one where parents can look at like not only the manufacturers or can parents look at and look at their toys and sort of go through the go through it as well or is it just mainly for manufacturers toy companies? Um, I I don't know what the toy association's plans are whether they will have a sort of list of approved steam products on there as it gets implemented. I think it's still early days yet, but I would imagine that would be something that you know I wouldn't be surprised if that came along. And certainly, again, in the good toy guide, we highlight products that are good you can search for steam or stem products so no it's um, a really good framework i think that's a fantastic framework there's something interesting that you said there is that they market to boys and girls now this is a big thing at the moment is gender neutral toys and sort of that open-ended gender neutral not looking at boys or girls and i suppose it's been going on for a few years but it's not having a boys and a girls sections it's having a neutral section a toy is a toy have you heard about this yeah and um, let toys be toys is the yes. uk kind of campaign group around this and I again support a lot of what they do right up until the point it gets taken too far and I think that there is a danger of us telling little girls who want to dress up as pink sparkly princesses that they shouldn't be doing that and they need to be playing with lego and I think that's I my approach is that kids should be able to play with whatever they want to play with without stigma and if girls want to play with Lego or, you know, go and get rough and tumble in the garden and, and climb trees and do whatever they want to do, absolutely fine. Same for boys and, and, and vice versa. You know, if, if girls want to dress up as pink sparkly princesses and, and put glitter everywhere, then that's fine. And if boys want to do that, that's fine too. I think the, the issue I have is when it, when it gets stigmatised and children are, are discouraged from playing with a certain thing because either because it's not girly enough or, or too girly or whatever but you you then end up with the sort of the the overcompensation the pendulum swings too far and 
I don't like it when you've got parents feeling like their little girl has to go and play with a, a sort of an engineering toy and a little boy has to be, you know, the using door. their easy bake oven or whatever. And, and they're sort of, they're almost being shoehorned the other way or sort of, yeah. And I, I think for me, it's just about letting kids play and, and letting them choose what they play with. Absolutely. I find it's really funny, you know, I've got two boys. So, you know, from the first boy to the second boy, I hate to say we do have a lot of cars and a lot of, we have a lot of open-ended products and blocks and stuff like that as well. My youngest son loves to go for the sparkly necklaces wherever he finds it. It's just his thing. <laughs> it's a, whereas my oldest son wouldn't have touched them at all. It would have been an absolute no. And it's not because he was never provided with anything. I think the first doll that we bought him, the first thing he did was took it into the bath and ripped its head off. And I was like, thanks, William. Thanks. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, there was it's just completely different outlook on how they play with the toys as well. So it's been it's a it's really interesting. But this year's been a definitely been a different year. We know, you know, being in educational toys has been a very different year for us as well in um, the retail space. And I suppose my big question to you is what are your trends in toys for 2021-22? Because it has been Let's just hope that we don't go through another year where the schools are closed like they have been this year. But however, there's been much more of a push we've found within the space of games, home learning and all these sorts of things yeah. as well. So I'd love to hear. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say that actually I don't think that's going to change. I think there is an inc- there was already an increase in um, trending for home homeschooling. And yeah. I think the pandemic has, has exacerbated that or exaggerated that. So I think there is an increased home education market and I think even the kids that have gone back to school and the parents who are incredibly grateful that the kids have gone back to school I think over the last year they have got more involved in their kids education and they they know a bit more about what they're studying and how they're studying and what they learn and what they enjoy and so I think that educational products is is a trend that is is going to carry on maybe not quite to the extent we've seen it this year but I think educational play will be a will be a sort of ongoing trend I think tech has obviously become so much more normalized now. So tech toys, it, you don't have the battles anymore with screen time so much because parents have just, you know, it's been how kids have connected. It's been how kids have learned. It's been how kids have, you know, kept in touch with family members. So you can't suddenly turn around and then go, oh, no, screen's bad. So I think the battle with screen times is is has kind of been been fought and won or lost, depending on your point of view. And it's now more about what's happening on screens. So I think the kind of the apps and the games that promote social interaction, creativity, imagination, learning, all of those kind of things, I think are are thriving. And then one of the biggest trends, which again, I really hope does stay, is the family board games. And I think that that extra time that people have had to play, play games around the table with their kids of any age. And I think that's such a lovely thing. And board games, again, board game clubs were quite a thing pre-pandemic and hopefully they'll they'll come back up again but just that family family playtime and just finding things to do together I think that's definitely um a trend that will continue well at least I hope so have you had a favorite board game that you've played during during the last 12 months has been there been a favorite board game in your house Oh, I've got a few. We do um, one. Of, the one that works really well because we can play it over video link with my folks is Confidence. Oh, I don't know. Um, that's a, it's a good game. It's a it's either called Confidence or Confident. I don't know, but yeah, no, that's a fun one. Ticket to Ride is a favourite of mine. I don't know some of these. I might have to actually have a look at them. Yeah. My children are much younger. I can 
we've got Monopoly and lots of construction games and things like that. But Monopoly is a favourite with my oldest son because he seems to, honestly, he always buys Mayfair and all of the really high-end ones, puts three houses on and I always get stuck there or I go to jail. It's been he, and he thinks it's hilarious <laughs> the whole time. You know, it's yeah. just... And then he he gives me the negotiation of, oh, you won't have to pay me rent today, Mum. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which they think yeah, awesome, is not it? Yeah, and I think, I mean, Monopoly is great because it teaches you an awful lot of, a lot of skills, but, you know, money, compromise, negotiation, communication, the value of different things and the sort of risk reward, all of that kind of stuff. And as Oops. well as, you know, reading the cards and, and the, the kind of chance element. So... Yeah, there's a reason Monopoly's lasted for over 50 years and, and it's um, it's great. So, you That's know, really good to start with. But there are so many games out there and, and I think just finding things that you, you, en- that you all enjoy, because that was the thing. When the kids were really little, it was always a bit of a chore. You'd play the same game that they wanted to play, whereas actually now, once they get a bit older, anything above sort of seven or eight, you can play great games that the whole family just enjoy. Double is a really good one for sort of levelling the playing field. You can play that at any age. And it's, you know, it's, it's just observation. So you can play that with a you know, mixed number of people and, and kids of, of any age can play sort of, well, sort of four or five upwards. And that's a great game for, for bringing the family together. So, yeah, no, there are loads out there. Fantastic. We'll have to have a look. Now, listen, a lot of people will be interested in things like the framework that you have for the pyramid and all those sort of things. So how can our listeners or parents get in touch with you and have a chat or even just even learn more about the Good Play Guide? So goodplayguide.com is probably the best place to start. If you're looking for toys, it's goodtoyguide.com, but you can get there from goodplayguide.com. And then we are at goodplayguide on Facebook or Instagram if you want to follow us on there. Fantastic. Thank you, Amanda. Really enjoyed chatting with you today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it too. There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you, so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education, as she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners.